Can I add just my personal opinion about Mocha, Cypress, other testing tools like Playwrights, Selenium, you name it. So imagine all the people writing web applications, they all need to test. The number of people actually testing their websites or application like completely is very small. Majority of people test maybe some part, it's too hard, they give up, they probably stick to just unit tests, right? So I myself envision this giant pie and only a thin slice of a pie is eaten by the end-to-end test tools. So if Cypress captures 10% of a pie, perfect, I'm happy. If Playwright captures 20% of a pie, no big deal. There is plenty of pie to go around. <laughs> to go around, I would agree. Exactly. Use any tool that you like. Just make sure your website is working so I can freaking use it. That's it. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Raygun. Raygun gives software teams instant visibility into the quality and the performance of their software. And I'm here with John Daniel Trask, co-founder and CEO of Raygun. So JD, let's talk about the challenge that software teams have. Are there really teams out there that don't have error tracking or error monitoring? Because you've been doing this for quite a while now. Have you ever met a team that's like, what is that? Why would I do that? Or is it super clear we must have error tracking? It's becoming more common, but most folks that we're bringing on board are still coming from nothing. I think that the next phase is in that telemetry and observability side of things. Like the cutting edge people are absolutely doing it already and they've been doing it a wee while, but a lot of people are coming on to that. And I often think about it as like you've made this investment in CICD, but until you close that loop with real-time insights coming from your production code, you're actually not making the most value of your CICD pipeline. You've got repeatable dependable builds going out, but you're not actually being able to fail forward and respond to customer feedback that's automatically provided as quickly as you could. Okay, so if you are of the majority of new customers to Raygun, coming to them with no air monitoring, no air tracking in place, you can try it out for free today. A free 14-day trial is waiting for you at Raygun.com. No credit card required. Join thousands of software teams out there who use Raygun every single day. Learn more at Raygun.com. Again, Raygun.com. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Gleb was gracious enough to create a discount code for 15% off his Cypress courses during the month of September. Check the show notes and save some cash. Special thanks to our partners at Fastly for shipping our shows super fast to wherever you listen. Check them out at Fastly.com. And to Fly.io, host your app servers close to your users. No ops required. Learn more at Fly.io. Okay, hey, it's party time, y'all. Hello, JS Party listeners. We have a very special guest in the house today. I think we might be calling this episode The Doctor is In again. Oh. So, Doctor, Doctor, I feel the need to like have an accent. Oh. Doctor Gleb Bahmutov, welcome. Thank you, Amal. It's good to be here. <laughs> hey, everyone. You like my like Russian doctor accent? It's almost next to Dr. Zhivago, you know, kind of the same kind of. <laughs> Yeah, this is why drugs are bad, kids. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to also welcome my lovely co-panelists. Divya, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. I miss being on a show with you. It's been a hot minute, girl. I've seen her. We got to hang out in California. Same thing with Gleb. Gleb was at my house this, this past fall. He's overdue for another visit. 
But Chris is the only person here who I haven't actually got to see in person. So Chris, welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did see you in person before I knew you at, I believe it was like the Node. Oh, oh, in Vancouver? In Berlin. Oh, in Berlin, <laughs> JS CompU. <laughs> Oh my God, that was such a crazy... No, it was Vancouver, yeah. Okay, I did go to Berlin too, so if you were there, we might have seen each other in a crowd. But yeah. Stared at each other from across the room, you know, careless whisper starts playing. No, just kidding, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> happily married, both happily married people. <laughs> Anyways, Chris is like, what's going on? Sorry, I am so slow, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> That's okay, don't even worry. Again, don't do drugs. Bye. Do drugs. You have drugs? <laughs> no comment. Are you on anything? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No, I'm just joking. I listen. I'm just a stressed out thirty it's a year old. Judgment free zone here. I mean, yeah. at least yeah. I'm just trying to get through this podcast, y'all. Okay, don't get me distracted. So, Gleb, Gleb, yeah. welcome, Gleb. We're so excited to have you. So, we're going to be talking to Gleb about a few things today. Gleb is kind of like this super prolific person in the community. He's like an educator. He teaches. He contributes to a ton of open source projects. He really helps lead the way. He's kind of kind of created a couple of niche expertise areas for himself. Like I think he's an SME, a subject matter expert on testing, all things testing, but I also think he's pretty good SME when it comes to a lot of different node libraries and utilities. You've created a bunch of stuff that I've used at companies. It's such a treat to like go through my package JSON sometimes and just like look at all the authors and I'm like, oh, I know you, I know you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's true. You know, I'm like, I'm like, thank you, friends. No, but like you're really kind of this really incredible person in our community who has been such an expert for so long. And also just you've really been so generous with your time and knowledge. I mean, all of your slides, everything is available on your website. You have an awesome blog that's been getting like going for years. I refer to your old blog posts and I like, you know, send them to like engineers that, you know, more junior engineers that I know where I'm like, here, this is a great place to learn about this concept or that concept. One thing that came up recently was negative testing. I, I use one of your um, blog posts about negative tests to like, you know, negative assertions. So you're awesome. I love you, Glab. You're also a good friend of mine. <laughs> Just so like on a personal level, lots of love for me. But in your own words, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, of course. And then Cyprus, right? Lead one of the lead maintainers and contributors to Cyprus. Like you're not doing that full time anymore, but you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself now. So floor is yours, Glab. Thank you, Amal. And it's good to be here. And you are way too kind to me. It's true. You know who's a you know Superman? Superman, not me. I don't want a job. Honestly, everything that I have achieved, right, is mm -hmm. the blog, the open source, is because I was just looking around and I was like, no one has this utility and I should write it for myself. Mm -hmm. And all we do right now is putting it out there so we don't have to pay for hosting. We don't have to care about like private repos and subscribe to private, you know, continuous integration service like private, whatever, source control, because we have tools like GitHub and JavaScript and NPM ecosystem. And I used to be working on like C++ projects where, you know, you have five libraries that you use. And if you want to like add six one, well, guess what? The first two now don't compile or don't link properly. Or if you like upgrade a version, well, you probably are out of luck because these versions are incompatible. So as soon as I moved to Node and I started working with JavaScript, I was like, this is so good. I can just grab something off the shelf, use it and add something else. And they still work. 
and then add 10 more dependencies and they still work, right? And people complain about JavaScript and how fast it's evolving. And it's like, well, you might as well try other you know, language environments. And then you'll complain that nothing is getting done. Like there are no changes, right? There is like a change every couple of years. But there is no like user-driven you know, systems, tooling, all this jazz that we love, honestly. So that's all I've been doing. And I've been doing for a while, just open sourcing my work, reusing it at my day job. And, you know, kind of supporting users that use it for their day jobs. That's it. And I will add one more thing. I'm not generous with my time. Honestly, I'm not. And I'll tell you how to not be generous. So let's say I have a repo and you're using it and you have a question. Now you'll find my email and you email me directly. Right. And I get this email every day. Oh, like I'm using this. I have a question. How do you do this? I will actually reply with a, a blurb of text that I have a template in my inbox that says, sorry, I cannot answer private support questions. It doesn't scale because 10 other users will have the same question. Open the repo, I mean, repo issue, ask it in the public, you know, Discord, whatever channel, and I'll answer there, right? And I probably know the answer already. I'll just find it in a certain link, right? But I, you need to do it publicly. So then 10 other users will find it, will benefit. Like, I cannot be generous with my private time. Like, it just doesn't work, right? So the system is to do everything in public. And a lot of people, like, now swear by it, right? They do work in public, where even if you day, mm -hmm. day job, you do something or you prep it, you're trying to, like, kind of survey the field, you do it in public, and then you do your day job, you know, in private. And I'm a, like, I'm really amazed by people that do that because it's so, I want to say beneficial with your time, right? You get so many benefits from this. I want to be like that, right? Yeah. Stingy with your private time, mm -hmm. generous with your public work. Yeah, that's a really cool paradigm for sure. And I think it requires a certain amount of vulnerability as well, yeah. which is hugely important. But, but yeah, I mean, so I think the goal today is there's so much to unpack with you. I want to hear about <laughs> your backstory. I want to hear about your story with Cypress, you know, especially now kind of being in a position where you can look back, you know, I want to hear about you and I and how we have a story together about Cypress, which is kind of actually key, which is why I feel like, you know, I'm like maybe a secret hero of the internet because I helped make this connection or something and we improved our testing infrastructure as a result. Anyways, it's fine. I'm trying to take too much credit. But we also want to, I want to get into Cypress. So we'll be getting into kind of a lot here in our three segments. So let's maybe start with some of the Gleb questions, right? So can you tell us about how you got involved with Cypress? Because I think a lot of you were pretty prolific before Cypress, but I think being a part of Cypress and then also being part of scaling it and open sourcing it. And I feel like that was, you kind of rode a different level of like hockey stick fame in the open source <laughs> community. So tell us a little bit about that. I'll preface it with uh, the thing that I did not write Cypress, right? Cypress was a child of Brian Mann, who is still leading Cypress, the company, who's absolutely like hardcore developer genius with respect to testing tools, knows everything in and out. I just came to Cypress very early. And I came there because I used Cypress for a year while it was still like private beta. I had a need for it because we needed to test a web application back at like some startup mm -hmm. where I work. And we looked around and we use all sorts of tools like Phantom, JS, Karma, you name it, right? 
and nothing was reliable. The dark old days. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> the tools were kind of had tough time with modern web applications where you click a button and then the application would load data and then show the data. And you always had to like, oh, I wait five seconds, the data will be there. Like the dynamic applications presented problems for tooling that kind of operated outside of browser, like Selenium WebDriver, where it just sends commands to the browser, like find a button, then sends commands, click on the button. In between, the application can completely like re-render the button, maybe disable it while it's fetching new data. So by the time the click arrives, boom, you're out of luck, and it's hard to understand why it has failed, right? So Cypress operates in a browser, which presents its own technical challenges, but I think they're smaller than you know, trying to operate this machine from outside. So I got onto private beta access, tried it for a while, just loved it. We started using it, I started promoting it. Like it's a good topic for a conference talk because everyone hates testing. And everyone will be like, oh, wait, you're going to do a demo that shows how to solve it in a nice way? Yeah, yeah, definitely come in. And, and I did meta presentations. We've done with Amal a workshop in Boston, right? Unit mm-hmm. testing and end-to-end testing. And so a year later, Cypress, the company, raised some money, invited me. You know, It's always a gamble to join a company working on dev tooling. Right, because it's not a, a field where people like throw money at you, right? It's mm-hmm. it was still before like Vercel Gatsby days. Yeah, it was definitely in the era before like all this dev tools started to get VC money. You know, so it's interesting to see like as the, as soon as companies start to realize how expensive it is to staff and maintain and retain engineers, like you know, all of a sudden dev productivity is like really important to businesses, yeah. like which is great, right? Like it's a win-win for us, but it's so funny that it's taken them this long to catch up, right? Testing always has the smallest budget, right? If you think about the marketing department versus testing, marketing department is huge, <laughs> testing department is small. And I always joke that it's because marketing department sells you dreams <laughs> and testing department crashes them, right? Like internally. It like just kills them. So when people realize how much money they waste by a bug, right? Affecting their production, affecting their reputation. All of a sudden, like, oh, wait, we have to invest in better tooling. We have to invest in training. Becomes, like, very logical decision. Mm. It's no longer, like, move fast and break things. It's more like, what are the best tools that you can use so that you move fast while, you know, not breaking things mm-hmm. in obvious ways? Right. And then immediately we had to figure out how to like survive and we decided to open source Cypress itself, right? Because no one would write test using a tool that can just disappear, right? Startup fails and the tool is gone and then all your tests are gone, poof. Or startup decides to charge you 10 times more money for the license and you're like, why, right? So we open source Cypress, we figure out we're going to make money off additional services like recording the test artifacts like videos, screenshots, test results, maybe running tests in parallel. Like that was my first big project at Cypress, making parallelization happen. And and so Cypress is doing that. They're doing it pretty well, I want to say. Obviously, I don't know the numbers for the last year left Cypress, but, you know, they seem to be doing very well. Mm -hmm. I joined a much larger corporation now and I'm using Cypress from the other side, right? used to work on the Cypress itself, on the dashboard integrations. Now I'm like the head of automation department. We write hundreds of tasks, we yeah. maintain them. And I see Cypress and the dashboard as a user, 100%, right? And so I'm very happy with Cypress, very happy with my automation team. And now we can talk about everyone's career, right? Because I know everyone who's listening is probably thinking, 
okay, it's all good. How do I find a better job, right? What is open source? How can it help my career? Should we talk about this, Amal? We can definitely talk about this, but I also want to make sure we talk about the open sourcing journey for the project because you did open source it. And yeah. that was, I think, a huge it was kind of a monumental thing for the project because by open sourcing it, all of a sudden it wasn't this like private tool that some random startup was saying, like, trust us. You know, it was like, OK, well, here, take the core. You have the core. It's open source. Yeah. Here's a bunch of other services that you can buy if you want to support this company, if you want to have a better integration you know, suite. But like I thought that was really, really cool. A huge part is Brian Mann just convincing the company, right? Once you raise some money, you are no longer owning the thing, right? Like no matter what people say, investors, they own a huge chunk and they actually determine where it's going. Honestly, like you cannot just say, oh, we're going to open source thing, right? Oh, no, I know. It's run by the board. Right. It's run by the board. And you know, Brian convinced people that open sourcing is the right decision, right? Because otherwise there is this risk and nobody's going to use you as a tool. Mm -hmm. From a technical perspective, open sourcing means a bunch of things, right? Everything from like making sure that whatever you open source only has all the licenses, you know, squared up, right? Like you're not using third-party dependencies with private licenses. Everything you have to have a licensing contribution agreement for everyone who contributes, right? You have to clean up the repo, make sure that anyone who wants to like submit a pull request can actually do that. Right. Right. To me, open sourcing is almost like, you know, imagine you have a car and you want to bring it to a car show. We want to pop a hood so that other people can look into it. Right. Well, you probably need to make sure <laughs> that under the hood things are in order. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And look good. And, and you can be proud of it. That makes so sense. we've done for a couple of months doing like just cleaning up things, organizing them, putting them all in one place. So it's not like 10 different repos. Okay. I have a burning question for you on open source. And then I want to hear from Divya and Chris, because like I've been like super chatty Nelly here. But like, I always wondered, like when you open source a repo, what do you do with your Git tree? Specifically, like if you're removing stuff when you're cleaning it up to be open source, the ref log is going to not be your friend here because people could in theory go back, right? So what do you do? Do you start a new Git tree? Like, if so, like, what about all that fidelity, you know, that you're losing? So I'm just curious. So what I've seen happen is people just zap it, right? Maybe if they need that, the old info, they, they keep it in an archive somewhere. It would be interesting to know what, what Cypress did there, because I have no idea. I could imagine I would be the kind of person who'd want to go and massage the history and like spend a week just like fixing up change sets and reordering things like a crazy person, mm -hmm. which is a thing I like to do. Oh my God. That's like signing up for the worst kind of pain. I mean, I love my ref log, but I do not like being in there. I do a, a lot of, a lot of wacky stuff with my mm -hmm. with my history <laughs> we should do a show on it yeah but what did cyprus do there yeah i believe they kept the whole history of a main repo whoa okay and i'm trying to kind of check that uh, really quickly i do believe you can see all the way to the first initial commit to initial commit damn I know, I know. You can find, and the first commit was something funny. I, I've done it before, I, I swear, 
right? It was something yeah. like Brian, like, okay, first scan me, it's gonna be great, you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, starting with testing tool. And it was like several different languages, right? Like it was like coffee script, you know, script, this script, that script, Nancy script, like all the scripts. Like, how many, <laughs> how many languages was in the? It was just coffee script because it started, let's say, okay, probably like seven years ago when okay. ES6 was not a thing, and the only le- language you could re- use with modules and like saying semantics was CoffeeScript. And I have to say, CoffeeScript was my bridge. Because oh, I used to be a C++ and C-sharp developer, and I, would, I could never program in JavaScript. To me, it was like a ball of spaghetti code all the time, right? And then I discovered CoffeeScript, and it made sense. And when I saw Cypress, I was like, oh, it's written in CoffeeScript. So I was like, gotcha. And not only the tool was written itself in CoffeeScript, you could write the tests. You could probably still write it. I don't know. In CoffeeScript, like your spec files could be CoffeeScript and it's like super clean syntax. It actually looks very nice. So CoffeeScript was the way to go and slowly move to ES6 and then to TypeScript. So now I believe a tool is pretty much all TypeScript. I don't know how you feel about TypeScript, but it's there. I've come around to it. Same, me too. I think the best way to see it is not comparing it to JavaScript, just seeing it as a completely different language. Agreed. All I want to say is TS ignore co- is my favorite comment. I'm not going to fight you. I'm just <laughs> TS ignore next line, whatever. Do you have a little hotkey in your keyboard? Just go, pa, cut, paste, you know? Just shut up, TypeScript compiler. Take that. That's the thing. I'm very angry at that TSC compiler. I mean, at TSC, I'm, I'm just angry at it a lot. And I'm just, I always just time box myself. So I'm a fan of like pragmatic TypeScript, which is definitely a philosophy. We'll put a link in the show notes to a blog post from Mark Erickson on this, which I love. So pragmatic TypeScript is basically just time box yourself on TypeScript and know that you are trying to make a completely dynamic language static. And sometimes the two things just, they just don't happen, okay? It doesn't. And sometimes you spend way too much time making complex generics when you just need to just do an ignore or an any. And a key example of that is like expressive things like Lodash, right? Trying to type that, it's like, forget about it, you know? Yeah. So I think we wanted to get into one more thing before we break, which is the how open source is good for your career, right? That's something you wanted to discuss. Yeah. So I want to discuss it, and then I want to rant about conferences these days. But We can do that. Okay. So if you start open sourcing things, then first of all, you have a record of your work that anyone can look up. And so next time you get to a company and you go to the interviewing at the company, you can point and say, okay, this is what I've written, right? We can discuss that. This is why I've done it. But it's no longer, oh, I've done this thing, but I cannot show anything because it was private to my company, right? So now all of a sudden, like the discussions are concrete and they can pretty much replace, you know, the whiteboard coding interviews because like, why? Why would you, like, I would never give someone a whiteboard coding interview right now if they bring me, here are my open source projects, this is what I contributed, this is my commit, and we can discuss it. It makes a lot more sense. So this is a great part. It removes, like, this whole problem with interviewing, this whole nervousness, this whole, like, on the spot thing. Okay, so that's great. But another thing that will supercharge you after a couple of years, probably, if you keep it up, right, is that you're going to be invited to the companies, right? Or to join the companies just based on your open source work, right? Like people will email you or LinkedIn or whatever, just talk to you and say, okay, hey, why don't you come on board? You know this tool, you've done this like awesome job right here, right? Why don't you join us, 
right? It's this huge change and you just have to keep it up with open source work, right? Will it happen like on a clock? Probably not, but it probably will happen. But there is another, I would say, complementary work to just programming. Programming is great. Coding is great. But you have to write. You have to write blog posts. You have to write presentations. You have to promote your work. You have to explain it. And you'll benefit yourself from doing it, right? And other people will understand what you're doing. The number of people who's going to look at your source code is probably like single digits. Maybe someone reviews your pull request. Maybe someone digs into how a library works, right? Very small. But if you write a blog post saying this is how you do, let's say in my case, like unit testing or testing a node program or testing CLI program or testing a website, the number of people who will read it could be thousands. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Develop on the platform that sellers trust. Support Square sellers by building apps for today's business needs. As a Square app partner, you can reach millions of business owners searching for trusted software solutions. As a Square solutions partner, you can get hired by sellers on the Square platform, find new clients, and build apps that meet their needs. Square loves developers. They work hard to enable you to launch fast with their developer tools. You get a full sandbox environment, an interactive API explorer, live event monitoring, backend SDKs for PHP, Ruby, Java, .NET, Python, and Node. You get secure payment SDKs for iOS, Android, React Native, and Flutter. You get it all. Learn more and get started at changelog.com slash square. Again, changelog.com slash square. So moving from open source careers and kind of back to this open sourcing Cypress question. Cypress is, I mean, last time I checked, permissively licensed. And I was curious like how Cypress arrived at that because a lot of companies in similar like VC funded situations will choose a essentially anything but a permissive license because you know they don't want some competitor to go and take the source code and run with it. So how did you get to, I, I believe it's even MIT. How did you get to yep. MIT and how has that worked out? Excellent question. So yes, Chris, uh, Cypress, the test run itself is licensed under MIT license, just like all the plugins that Cypress does, all the integrations with particular tooling that it has, all the reporters and CI integrations and all that. It's all MIT license. One reason is because I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right down the street from MIT University. So that's obvious. That's one answer. No, but the serious thing. <laughs> oh my God, Gleb, can we, are we going to start a counter for your dad jokes? <sighs> He's hilarious. Listen, internet and people who don't know Gleb very well, you don't understand how much of a dad joke 
pun master Glevis. He's like, he could just whip them out like bang, 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 you know? <laughs> so we're going to have to count them. <laughs> Start no. Okay, okay, no. <laughs> Anyways, okay. MIT University has nothing to do with it, right? Cypress the Company was founded in Atlanta, Georgia, right next to Georgia Tech University. So MIT would not play a role. But yes, for two reasons. One, it's the most permissive license where the companies that are going to use it are not going to be afraid of using it, right? They're not going to say, oh, can we use it just for our open source or public website or internal tooling? No, right? So the wide adoption was the goal. And the MIT license allowed the widest adoption, we felt. And another thing, speaking about uh, competitors, Cypress the Test Runner is now used by Cypress the Dashboard competitors. If you go to browser stack, you can run Cypress and the results will be written on the dashboard. If you use AWS Amplify, you use Test, Test Runner and very show you the results on the dashboard. Perfecto, same thing, right? And Cypress the company is okay with competitors just like showing the results of the test runs and kind of competing. The goal was to get as many developers as possible using the tool. That's smart. Okay. So even if some developers are going to look at results in our dashboard, it's fine, right? And it also is very difficult from stopping people from just using any kind of Mocha-compatible reporters in general, right? So Cypress is built on top of Mocha, so all the reporters are working. So if you, you want to generate Mocha awesome report and just show it on your CI, fine. So it's not even the commercial competitors. You're competing against people just hosting their own report results. So the wide adoption is better. Glove, you just said uh, Chris's trigger word, mocha. Mocha, I know, I know. I can't, you know, Chris, what's it like being in a Starbucks? <laughs> what's that <laughs> like? <laughs> I'll have a mocha frappuccino. Okay, fine, uh. no. So... Yeah, Chris, for those of us who, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, is um, one of the lead and core contributors of Mocha, like the world famous backbone, like yeah. highly used, never thanked enough test runner that's node first and is awesome yeah. and has been around forever and is battle tested and has a really simple, easy API that's open and extensible. I'll stop the advertising now, but that's what Mocha is. <laughs> I haven't worked on it for a year. You haven't? Okay, fine. Yeah. This is news to me, Chris, but you did. You did for a very long time. But I did for like a good five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really cool answer and very strategic of Cyprus. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, can I add just my personal opinion about like Mocha, Cypress, other testing tools like Playwrights, you know, Selenium, you name it. So imagine all the people writing web applications, right? They all need to test. The number of people actually testing their websites or application like completely is very small, right? Majority of people test maybe some part, it's too hard, they give up, they probably stick to just unit tests, right? So I myself envision this giant pie and only a thin slice of a pie is eaten, right? By the end-to-end -end test tools, right? So if Cypress captures 10% of the pie, perfect, I'm happy. If Playwright captures 20% of a pie, no big deal. There is plenty of pie to go around. <laughs> to go around, I would agree. Exactly. Use any tool that you like. Just make sure your website is working so I can freaking use it. That's it. Yeah. It was wide adoption. And even if some market share of test runs results will be captured by competitor to Cypress, the company, 
that's fine. No big deal. Right. And that's because Cypress, to, for those who might be wondering, Cypress is an open source project. The core is open source. There's lots of modules and plugins that are also open source, some maintained by Cypress, some maintained by the community. And the company itself makes its money off of its dashboard subscriptions. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. And basically, because they've open sourced everything, it's also enabled other competitors like AWS Amplify, for one, for example, to show those results, right? Yeah, exactly. And to kind of compete with their dashboard product. But I think right. they've taken a really strategic bet around scale. And so I think that's really, really, really smart. I think when developers are the ones who are advocating, like you've done something right. And I think for me, that was what I found most interesting about Cypress was just like, it really solved the big need that we had in our community. And we had a lot of pain doing some similar things, but then also it just mass adoption across the board, startups, Fortune 500s, Fortune 50, Fortune 10 companies. I mean, it's kind of wild. And I think for me, what's really interesting about all this is I think it's shifted the needle on like where we are right now for like our testing philosophy has shifted, I would say, from where we were like five years ago, from where we were 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think for me, Cypress has been a key part of that shift, right? And we have a lot of front end engineers who listen to us, right? And um, I'm teaching this to my own, the engineers that I lead at work as well. But, you know, really when people think about integration tests, for me, I think of that as like anything within your own repo boundaries, right? So if you have a front end repo or if you have a, source directory with all your front end code, like everything in that is your boundary, everything. So making sure all of that is harmoniously working together, that is an integration test. And true end-to-end -end test is like actually going outside the bounds of your repo, you know, launching something for real, not mocking or stopping anything, right? And those are really expensive tests to maintain. Like when, you know, so end-to-end -end tests, I feel like they get this bad rep because I think more people don't focus enough on integration tests. And like, really, you want to have a sorry, no, sorry, a whole load. You want to have a whole load of integration tests and you want to have a handful of end to end tests that act as smokes, right? It's a smoke test. It's just to make sure everything is working, right? Because in theory, if everybody's taking care of their little house, right? If they're taking care of their boundaries, then the kind of testing that the connection points are still working is all you really need to do with the true end to end test. And so can you talk to us a little bit about that? shift in testing methodologies and philosophies and how things are changing, right? Like the ratio of units yeah. and integration and end-to-end, -end, and also like our understanding of integration tests is sort of changing. Yeah. And Cypress, I think, has really enabled that story, at least for the teams that I've been on. So Amal, excellent, excellent kind of runway. Okay, so if you write a small piece of code, you probably will test it. And those tests are called unit tests. They're kind of like little drills, right? Then maybe you have a couple of components and like your front end and you write integration test where you don't have a back end maybe you test how a couple components work together but when you put your front end and back end and databases and whatever else you might have in the system and then you test it like a user right go to a url click on a button log in you know create a project and so on those are end-to-end -end tests and they go through the whole system now you might still stop some calls, for example, to the payment system or to like email system, but it's fine. Majority of calls should go through and exercise your whole thing. And it's incredible how much broken stuff you find, even if all parts work individually very well and are fully tested. 
So right now I work at Mercari US, which is this online marketplace. You can sell your existing stuff. You can buy furniture, including shelves. The furniture will be delivered to you a while, right? Like it's nice. Yeah. Are you trying to like get back at me because I, I had a job offer from Mercari and I had to sadly turn it down and it was really upsetting. I'm just making fun of people like delivering furniture to you just now. So All right. Oh, okay. Got it. I was like, wait, wait a second. Yeah. What's going on? Okay. Yes. Imagine you buying furniture from someone else, mm -hmm. right? Some other person or a store, right? And you have to pick it, make payment from multiple providers. You can find delivery service, right? Another company will go and deliver and so on, right? So imagine how many systems actually work together to make it happen. And when you have thousands of users like every minute. So imagine how you test that. So we have, let's say, probably like 600 end-to-end -end tests in our dev environment. True end-to-end. -end. True end-to-end, -end, right? Login, create a user login, create an item, buy an item, arrange delivery, track it, right? So on. So imagine, in theory, everything is working, but you constantly find, okay, our furniture pickup service that's responsible for organizing in you know, a third party is returning an error. Why is that? Okay, now go investigate, right? Okay, oh, it's back. Why is back? You know, whatever tooling for you to track it down. Our suggestion service that kind of gives you shipping suggestions. If you're selling an item and you have to ship it, right? You can use a postal service, you can use FedEx, or you can use whatever, DHL. You know, there is a service responsible for suggesting which option to use right? And how much it would cost and the weight. All of a sudden it's not responding, right? End-to-end tests allow you to find all these issues that should not be there, right? Because you did test those services in isolation, but together in this whole deployed environment, something's got wrong. So I think the biggest thing about Cypress was someone who is working on a front-end or back-end or working as a tester could come in and write a test very, very quickly and see it run and understand why it failed or why it succeeded or what has happened during that test. I think that was the revolution. You could come into a new job and in the first day, boom, show how full system is working or not working. It's fine either way, right? But I think that was revolution. You did not have to suffer through tooling and versions and installation and running it on CI. You could be successful in one day. So. I was impressed myself, and I hope the users who tried it are also impressed. And that's what is really nice to see still. Like, I'm still a big advocate for Cypress every day. This is kind of what would I my take on the situation is like Cypress was really the first end-to-end -end testing tool that focused on the developer experience and not just mm. yeah. this is a tool for the QA team. Yes. And what I did was it kind of caused this shift left where developers are now saying, oh, writing these functional or these end-to-end -end tests is, is part of my job now, right? Yeah. And that wasn't how things were before. You'd have a QA team and they'd work with their tools and, and you wouldn't touch them. But now you do. Yeah, because nobody in developer land wanted to touch anything called right. with selenium in the word. And it was all just super hard. And it's like, what everything was written in Java too. What's all this Java? You know, it's like, what is going on? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. And that, that shift left is something that's still happening at quite a few companies as well. Like, I think that that's still something that we're in the middle of as an industry. It's not universal. Yeah. 
and it still is in progress. So, and I'll tell you an example. So it used to be that Cypress would only do end-to-end -end testing, right? You visit the URL, you find a button, you click on it, and then the website would contact, you know, backend and then show results. Excellent. So now Cypress released something called component testing, right? So imagine you are a developer and you work on a date picker that fetches like available date intervals, right? When you can schedule something like a pickup. Okay, well, how would you test that, right? It used to be that you would use something that runs in Node, like Mocha, Jest, Ava, and so on, right? That would emulate the browser, that would render your component in this dumb emulation, and then you would have to know specific framework things for... The secret handshakes, I call them. The secret handshakes for that framework, right? Mm -hmm. And the testing tool and integrate and say, fire a click event and then turn the wheel so that the framework you know does its processing and then renders the results in this thing but you don't see because it runs in complete dumb emulation don't forget to hold your breath either you have to hold your breath and then touch your nose yeah and like wiggle your toe three times you sacrifice a goat the whole you know shebang but the whole shebang right exactly so Cypress uh, <laughs> folks, right, kind of were thinking, okay, well, why don't we take that component, React, Angular, Vue, whatever, and we'll have a browser that we control, and we'll just mount that React component, and then start React as a mini web application. So instead of mounting your whole app, when you visit the URL, you mount that component, and you also hook into that so you can like pass, I don't know, like a, a property or a spy. But other than that, after that, after you mount it, it runs as a full application. So you can use the same commands for clicking, for typing, for observing the network, for stopping the network, for checking the results, all in the browser, all using the same standard commands, right? Use all the dev tools, use all the debugging tools that you want right there. And you're using a real browser so you can see everything. So this version of Cypress has support for React, Angular, and Vue. I'm super happy to see it because it shifts the testing all the way to the left so that the developers, while working, can see the thing, right? And this also allows you to do things like, okay, well, if I'm testing a button, I have to find the button. So how do I find it? So now developers have to think about it because they're writing this component test. If I click on a button and it shows like a, a pop-up with some text, how do I check that pop-up? Well, you need probably some kind of label or ARIA attribute or even a data test attribute so you can find it. So developers now start adding and think about the stability of a code and components. And once that's done, they can write end-to-end -end tests so much simpler because everything is testable, everything is findable, right? And then QAs who come in, they can say, yeah, I see this component, I see the ARIA label, I'll select it using ARIA label, I'll observe a network call. It makes end-to-end -end test writing so much simpler because you shifted left so much, but now everything makes sense. Nothing is like black box and nothing is like, well, I don't know how it works. <laughs> it's not over. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Enough, enough <laughs> of the shenanigans for real. That's amazing. And whoa, right? Yeah. Like talk about like pushing the needle and shifting the conversation, right? Making it easy to actually visualize your tests, have it be part of your iterative development workflow. And I think then taking that and saying, you know what? Hey, node environments, maybe not the best place to do front end testing. 
like yep. for components, right? Let's render them in a browser. I, it's one of the things that's always bugged me. I'm like, Phantom J, what was it? Not Phantom JS. What's it called? No, Phantom JS was the first one. First in Phantom JS, and then there was the other one, the Dominic's JS Dom. JS Dom, thank you. Yeah. Yes, JS Dom, right? I'm like, come on, people! Like, we are reinventing the wheel. You know, let's just use Node tools for Node testing, and let's yeah. use you know browser tools for browser testing. Wow! You're like, how do you know your images are rendering? How do you know your CSS is working? It all this kind of speaks to that like. JavaScript hungry, hungry hippo kind of the phase that we're going through as a community, right? Like everything that can be done with JavaScript will be done with JavaScript, regardless of whether it's a good idea or not. Like, so anywho, I'm ranting now. I feel like those headless browsers, like your Phantom, they really filled like this niche because it was um, need. Oh, there was a need. There was a yeah. need, but we've evolved past it now, though. We have better tools. Well, it was slow. It's still slow. It's slow to start a browser. Oh, it is. Oh, oh, there's that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And if you want that quick feedback loop, then you have this thing that runs a node that fakes a browser and is really weird, but people love it, right? So, yeah. Honestly, that is the biggest pushback that I have gotten from trying to always make that pitch to teams is like, well, it's so slow to like launch a browser and like, wow, 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 wow. Like literally that's <laughs> the excuse that I get. And I get it, I get it, people, I get it. But you know what? We have computers, we have compute, we have fast, really MacBooks. Like, and you know, there's like cloud computing and there's called like caching and using ASTs to like run the right set of tests and such and such. I mean, like we should leverage these things, you know? I get it, it's not one terminal window, but it is, the right thing to do for our users at the end of the day and the right thing to do for the health of our code and our applications. So, you know, I'm just, just putting it out there. You're right. And you have to talk about what's the speed that you're trying to optimize. Mm. The initial speed of starting the test tool and getting to the first result or the, you know, the speed of your development cycle, because these are different things, right? And I have a whole presentation about we're optimizing for this like initial like run of a test, right? Oh, it's 10 milliseconds versus 10 seconds. I was like, okay, but what if something fails? How fast do you, can you debug it? Mm. Oh, it's a black box and you have to like, uh, and then there's a browser API, but you're not sure if it's implemented at all or correctly versus you're seeing it in browser. What's the speed of debugging something that fails on CI? What's the speed of maintaining? the test, when someone else who hasn't written the test comes in and has to change it or investigate a failing test when you already left the company. What's the speed of that, right? Let's not optimize for something that you can just leave open on your computer and it just like sits there rerunning the test as you like work on it, right? So to me, it's like, think about the speed you're optimizing for because it might surprise you. And all the comparisons, Okay, if we're ranting, let me rant about this. Rant, rant, rant. The most popular things on the internet are things of framework X versus framework Y, right? Where we say like, here's, you know, a list of thousand items and let's like virtually scroll for it and look, this framework X is like 10 seconds, this one is 30 seconds. And it's like, okay, is that the speed we're really optimizing? That's the use case that every user will scroll very quickly? Okay. How come you're not using the speed of development, the productivity of development, or something else? And guess what? Because it's so hard to measure, mm -hmm. right? But yet everyone like going through these flame wars, is it two kilobytes versus 10 kilobytes of initial JavaScript? Okay, I understand it might be matter in some context, 
right? But let's not just say this is the only metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I get that. There's so much to unpack here. You know, to kind of summarize, you know, Cyprus has really pushed the needle for our ability to have good DX and maintain our tests and also be able to test more things with it, not just integration and end-to-end -end tests, but actually component tests, right? And that's really exciting. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sourcegraph. They recently launched a new feature called Code Insights. Now you can track what really matters to you and your team in your code base, transform your code into a queryable database to create customizable visual dashboards in seconds. Here's how engineering teams are using Code Insights. They can track migrations, adoption, and deprecation across the code base. They can detect and track versions of languages or packages. They can ensure the removal of security vulnerabilities like Log4j. They can understand code by team, track code smells and health, and visualize configurations and services. Here's what the engineering manager at Prezi has to say about this new feature. Quote, as we've grown, so has a need to better track and communicate our progress and our goals across the engineering team and the broader company. With Code Insights, our data and migration tracking is accurate across our entire code base, and our engineers and our managers can shift out of manual spreadsheets and spend more time working on code, end quote. The next step is to see how other teams are using this awesome feature. Head to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link will be in the show notes again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. And by our friends at Hasora. Hasora lets you create dynamic, high-performance GraphQL and REST APIs from your databases in minutes with granular authorization and caching baked in. All this without touching your underlying database. Go from data to API in literally minutes. As the technology landscape evolves, a key bottleneck for teams is making data accessible, especially in enterprise environments. Modernizing applications and building new features is critically dependent on being able to shape, control, and ship your data to interfaces demanding always available real-time access. Asura solves this problem by connecting your databases, your REST servers, your GraphQL servers, and third-party APIs to provide a unified, real-time GraphQL API across all your data sources. Imagine your tech stack is a Postgres database, Go is your backend language, REST APIs, and vendors who only expose REST and React for your front end. Hasora can give you an instant GraphQL API for your front end, an API that's protected with roles, caching, and everything you expect from a secure API, and the ability to connect all your services into a single API. All this while ensuring the performance, the security, and the reliability requirements of your API layer. The most important business value Hasora provides is reducing time to market. Imagine if your team can go from data to API in literally minutes, it would be a game changer. Everything they do is through the lens of making developers productive and getting to production ready in minutes. The easiest way to get started with Hasora is with Hasora Cloud. It is fully managed and skills as you grow. Head to hasora.io slash jsparty. That's H-A-S-U-R-A dot I-O slash jsparty. Again, hasora.io slash jsparty.
So we talked a little bit about Cyprus and like the various testing frameworks, the history of that and how it came to be. But what is upcoming or what are the innovations that are sort of on the horizon for Cyprus? So I already mentioned component testing. Red Baby is out there. It's growing. It's becoming a nice person of, on its own. <laughs> but there is something else that I would say is huge. So usually you have to be a developer to write a test. And a lot of people ask, well, can I just interact with a website and record the test this way, right? No code, kind of a low code tooling. And Cypress has uh, added what's called a Cypress Studio, where you can just interact with the site and it spits out the code right into your spec file. You can inspect it, modify it, and so on. And they removed it in version 10. And it caused chaos. People were crying, people were cursing, people were like throwing furniture out of the window. Like, why did you remove this no code kind of recording tool? And, you know, the Cypress company developers, they said, it's kind of hard to fit it in with like the big architectural changes we've made. So maybe we'll bring it back. We have to justify it. I personally was always against that tool because it's hard to just record a good test by interacting. Because you only can record actions on the page rather than like actions and assertions, which is Mm -hmm. a big part of a test. Anyway, that thing aside, Chrome, the browser team, has created a recorder. If you open in Chrome, the DevTools, there is a new panel. It's experimental, but it's there by default called Recorder, where you can click a button and record interaction with your site and then export it as a JSON or as a puppeteer, which is another test runner tool from Google. Mm-hmm. Okay, Cypress has released. I'm having a lot of fun with soundbites. I've never pressed this button today. I was hoping this would be a very quick TIO, but it was like a dramatic one. It is dramatic. But here for it nonetheless. It's fine. Resume, please. No, so. Cypress team has just released Cypress Chrome Recorder extension. You install it in your Chrome browser. Then you go back to the recorder panel. You record the test, like by interacting with the site, clicking, typing, and so on. And then at the end, you can export it as a Cypress test. And it has all the Cypress commands. And then you just edit it, right? You add maybe assertions of what you expect for each step or at the end to have on the page, and it's done. So. Cypress Studio is gone, but they replaced it with Chrome extension, which actually might make more sense because you might be already on the site. Let's say you see a bug, right? Right there in the browser, you just start recording it, go all the way to the bug, export as a test and say, this is a reproduction for the bug. Now make it as a small regression test. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. That's really awesome. That's like very cool. I mean, I feel like product owners everywhere are like rejoicing, you know, they're like dancing around a pole somewhere celebrating, you know. (laughs) That's how I dance. That's the only way to dance. (laughs) I'm thinking about like Maple Summer, you know. Anyways, Chris, you've been giving me so many disapproving looks. Like just like every two minutes, you're just like nodding in disapproval. Like what's up with that, dude? Like don't hate the player, hate the game, okay? You're sensitive. I am. I am. Anyways, let's not talk about this on air. (laughs) Maybe this is a good segue. 
to talk about the wider community because we talked about the online open source community, but of course, developer communities are not just online. They also are in person mm-hmm. sometimes or in certain communities that are outside of projects and software, like conferences and podcasts, like the one we're on now. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to remind everyone that the people you can interact as as a professional, right? Not just people at your company, right? Or your school or your study group, right? Mm-hmm. We are truly gone global, especially during COVID, right? Where you actually interact with people a lot more, right? Being online, attending online conferences, which is like probably the only upside to COVID epidemic was how much people actually said, yeah, we don't have to like all fly 10 hours to this place so that we can listen to 20 talks and then all fly back, mm-hmm. right? It became acceptable to have online conferences, which I personally find incredibly rewarding, mm-hmm. right? Being at work and then looking at schedule and say, oh, I'm just going to watch for next two hours conference talks that are online. But I have to say that I don't like all aspects of online conferences as a speaker, mm-hmm. right? So I'm gladly doing online talks. You invite me, I'll do it, right? But it takes work. It doesn't take any less work to prepare a presentation mm-hmm. if you're doing online. It probably takes more because you have to deliver it. You can't wing it. Right. You have to deliver it in front of like green screen, literally, right? Mm-hmm. You have no audience reaction. It's absolutely much more harder emotionally yeah. than being at a conferences and feeling excited and you see everyone and then you discuss it, right? Like, yeah. no, it almost happens as in vacuum, mm-hmm. but it's still fine to do it. Of course, being a at in-person conference has its perks, right? You're there, you travel, you have speaker dinner and so on. But online doesn't have it. So trade-offs. Mm-hmm. What I want to encourage everyone in the community to take advantage of are not just online conferences because usually they have like a free track or they publish talks afterwards, right? It's a lot more professional now than in-person conference. But take advantage of workshops, right? So during COVID, you had to do workshops online. So a lot of people actually stepped up the game, right? They're better prepared. They know what to do, right? They know more specifically how to interact with each person. The online workshops now are much better than they used to be before COVID Mm -hmm. because you had to improve, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to take an issue with some conference organizers. Not only they invite me to do online talks, which is fine. They want to invite me to do online workshops, <laughs> right? For free. You know, usually it's like, oh, can you do it for like two, three hours? It's like, you know, two, three hours is, is a huge chunk of preparation. And right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's fine. I've done it a couple of times. I encourage everyone to attend online workshops if it's available. I'll do one for testing for good, oh. which will be in October, organized by Source Labs, mm-hmm. right? Two, three hours about testing using cypress end-to-end and component Ooh, i'm gonna get my team on that it's gonna be a good conference i just want the conference organizers to be a little more i would say respectful and say okay the workshops that we're giving for free we probably will be limited in, in scope because it takes a lot of work right and mm-hmm. it's harder to justify but if you're attending mm-hmm. definitely take it as a chance if you can attend any workshop online Definitely attend it. It's a good thing. Yeah. And to be clear, um, Gleb isn't talking about Sauce Labs in particular, just in general. Yeah, right. No, no. Like free conferences in general. Take care of your people. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Gleb, especially because you do a lot of speaking. 
And you're speaking at a few different interesting things. I have a bunch of people from my company that are actually going to be at <laughs> NGConf. Yes. And I'm excited. You're going to meet people that I work with. And like, yeah, you'll be doing a workshop at NGConf. You've also started Cypress.tips, yes. which is like a new website where you're like, all right, y'all, I keep doing this tech support. Let me just, mm. let me organize my thoughts and also try to get paid for all the time that I've sunk, <laughs> right, into all this. And I love your YouTube channel too. You have all these like, bite-sized videos like just like it's awesome you just it's like you solve a little problem and you make like a like a three four minute video and like you know it reminds me a lot of like rails casts or egghead yeah but like the <laughs> free version on youtube you know <laughs> although i think rails casts is free it has been for almost a decade now but Amal, can I interject? Yes, I'll be at NGCon this weekend. I'm only doing workshop and flying right after. I'm not even going to the conference. I just don't have time to stay there. I see. So if you're not taking my workshop and I'm working on the contents, like finishing it just now because of a component testing for Angular that came out, Interesting. that section is new. That's awesome. For what it's worth, this episode is going to be dropping after NGCon yeah. or during NGCon and after your workshop because your workshop is next Monday. So time warp again, but yeah. Okay, I remembered. Yes, I do have a YouTube channel and I have a biggest playlist of Cypress tips and tricks videos that I make because every time I see something, yes, it's one thing to write a blog, but sometimes it's better just to see it, right? Mm -hmm. So I code up those solutions. You can see like literally Cypress on one side, code as I change my code editor on the other side and my like head, kind of floating there. And I'll tell you, you said it reminds you of Egghead videos. Yes. And you know why it reminds me? Long time ago, Egghead invited me to do like a course. And like I submitted a couple of videos, right? The course was supposed to be about dev tools or something. And we argued so much about editing <laughs> each video and re-recording and re-recording and like, oh, and can you remove this pause? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not doing it for you. That's it. Like, oh God, it's a lot. Because if we talk about economics, it makes zero sense. That's why I started Cypress Tips. So I give pretty much 95% of everything I create for free out there on YouTube, my blog, and so on. Right. But if you talk about Egghead, they take the chunk of money, right? Mm -hmm. Just for hosting it. If you talk about conferences in person, every workshop there, the presenter who's teaching the workshop, gets 50%, that's like standard rate. So imagine whatever you pay for the ticket to attend the workshop, the presenter only gets half of it. Mm. So if you like subtract all the expenses, nobody's going to be a millionaire by working themselves to death during workshops, right? So finally, I was like, okay, well, it was part of my job, right? Teaching everyone, making sure everyone's successful. When I left the company, I decided, okay, enough. Why don't I create a nice course about Cypress? And I've done it and I hosted it for free. If you go and we'll put a link in this description mm -hmm. to Blaze Meter University. So Blaze Meter is a company doing a lot of testing, right? Blaze Meter University hosts my Cypress version 10 fundamentals course, absolutely free for everyone. And then on my Cypress tips, I created two other courses. One is complete. It's all about Cypress network testing. You can literally like hands-on exercises using network testing, spying, stabbing from Cypress test. The course is there. And I'm working on another course that you can already like purchase and it's work in progress. So you can see new videos and new lessons as soon as I post them. It's all about Cypress plugins. Mm -hmm. 
how to extend functionality of Cypress using Avatools. That's awesome. And we're going to give JS Party listeners a promo code to get 15% off of any of Gleb's courses for the next like three weeks. Three weeks yeah. from when the episode drops, which will be yes. someday in, I think, September 1st of or September 2nd is when this episode drops. So it'll uh, let's just, yeah, probably for most of September. Yeah. Why don't we do the whole September? Let's do all of September. Yes. Testing September. Exactly. JS Party. And then we'll put the link in the show notes to cypress.tips. And uh, JS Party will be your promo code for 20% off. And yeah, support a maintainer. And I'm definitely going to be getting my team on that. So thank you in advance. And what else? So I think to kind of wrap up here, I'm curious. I like asking this question to a lot of what I consider like very prolific open source maintainers. If you could wave one magic wand like about the internet, about development, about whatever, testing, anything goes to this technology related, like what would you want to change? No, honestly, I like the complexity, right? We have all this kind of history of internet and it grew layer by layer over you know 31 years now. And it became this nice little system of libraries, tooling, websites, technologies. I would not change a thing, right? A lot of people, kind of say if JavaScript needs a standard library, mm -hmm. right? Not just like a couple of math and so on, but like big libraries. So you don't have to include Lodash or Ramda in every project that you work on. And I kind of see why people would say that. So maybe, maybe the one consensus decision would be just to have Lodash available by default. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Cypress, the test runner, by default bundles and includes Lodash, Bluebird Promise Library, jQuery. jQuery. It used to have moment, they removed moment because it was way too big for what it was supposed to do, right? It's so nice when inside your code, you just, hey, here's a low dash method, just use it and move on, mm. right? You don't have to install nothing. So if there was one change, just include low dash by default in the browser. Agreed. I'm plus one on that. Like, yes to all of this. And in our chat, like here, Chris was, uh, we were gossiping about you. Chris was like, quote, I don't understand how you make all this content and have a separate day job, end quote. I would agree, Gleb. I don't understand it either. You have a lovely wife and kids who you also spend a lot of time with. So I know you're a family man yeah. too. And you also do a lot of um, volunteering with different environmental groups and yeah. kind of groups that are trying to do something about the climate crisis. So you definitely have a full life. And we just want to say thank you for like everything that you do. Oh. The internet is literally a better place. Oh, wait, we didn't tell people the story of me, you, and Cyprus. What the hell? Like, how did... Like, me extra credits, like... Oh, yes. Well, I'll say it really quickly, which is, like, yeah. I invited Gleb to a podcast on Cyprus. Like, this is, like, what, maybe six years ago now? I don't know, five years ago? Some long time ago on Web Platform Podcast, which is where I've been podcasting since 2012, the project is kind of actually kicking back up again. We paused for a few years. It's been a long-running, pretty successful podcast on the web platform. We'll put a link to the episode. But I invited Brian and Gleb. So that was Gleb's first introduction to Brian. And I was I invited Gleb as a guest panelist with us yeah. to interview Brian because of how much Gleb loved Cyprus. And I was like, hey, Gleb, now's your chance. Come meet Brian, you know? <laughs> and shortly after that, he ended up working with them full time, yeah. you know? So I'd like to take a little bit of credit for 
accelerating what I think would have happened anyway. But that was a pretty cool, like, little story for all of you. <laughs> Thank you, Amal, for that and, and for the story. And I just want to point out that, you know, your first job out of college, out of boot camp, probably has to be on the strength of your resume, whatever courses mm -hmm. you took, you know, open source project that you can show. But mm -hmm. after two, three jobs, you probably want to look at your career and make sure that you are invited by people you worked with or interacted or collaborated with, right? Because those things will probably lead you to a places that you enjoy more mm -hmm. when blindly applying at a company and when joining. It's like, oh, I don't like this product. I don't like the technology. I don't like these people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the more you interact, the better impression you have, the more positive person you are, right? Yeah. The more chances you'll get to actually work with people who like you and you like them. That's it. Oh, man. Well, can't end it on any better of a note. So with that, we'll <laughs> give it a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week, as always. Special thanks to Gleb, of course, and Divya and Chris. It's been really, really, really fun, y'all. I had a lot of fun with the soundboard, too. So, you know, another <laughs> clearly another kind of uh, plus there. Sorry for making faces at you, Amal. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, Chris, apology accepted. Although I am trying to find the outro and there is no outro music. So we're going to outro to the intro. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. That's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe now before you forget. Head to jsparty.fm for all the ways. Good news. We restocked the Changelog merch shop. That means if you've been waiting for a JS Party t-shirt in your size, now is the time to buy. Check them out at jsparty.fm slash merch. Thanks again to our partners at Fastly for CDNing for us, to Fly.io for hosting our app servers and database, to the mysterious BMC for the dope beats, and to you for partying with us each and every week. We appreciate it. Next up on the pod, Nick, K-Ball, and I hang out, and I'm not going to lie, it gets a little bonkers. This episode is wild. Lots of laughs are in store, and hopefully other useful stuff too. You be the judge. Stay tuned. It'll drop into your podcast app next week. <laughs>